So loneliness is really hard. It really affects people. Last week we talked about how it makes people sick, physically, emotionally, spiritually. It's not good for you. Uh, Research has even found this. Not just, not just humans, mice. So they did a study on, on uh, mice. They took a mouse and they put this mouse with a bunch of strange mice that, that it didn't know with an insufficient supply of food. And then they found that that mouse, surrounded by strangers, uh, developed high blood pressure. I don't know how you th- measure the high blood pressure of a mouse. And I, oh, I can only imagine it's this tiny little band you put around the forearm with a little pump. I would really like to see that. Uh, but then they took that same mouse, and instead of putting it with strangers, they put it with the same other number of mice, but it was their family. It was their brothers and sisters, mice. And the same insufficient amount of food. And they found that for that mouse, its blood pressure did not go up when it was surrounded by family. Even though it, it faced pressures and stresses, if it was surrounded by, by family, even the mice could handle the pressure better. How much more those of us who are made in God's image, created by God for community. And so last week we talked about how God has created us, called us into community. He said when he made man, it's not good for man to be alone. He needs help. He needs others. Right? So the solution to problem, the problem of loneliness is authentic community. God has made us for communion. Communion not with just, just with one another, but communion with him. Did you know that? You are made for communion with God fellowship with God, and we get to express some of that and support that fellowship with God through fellowship with one another within this family, the family of God, which is the church. Jesus, when He came uh, into the world to die and to rise again, He came to uh, restore what sin had broken, what sin had damaged, what sin had robbed us of. He came to recreate the communion that we had lost. Communion with God, communion with one another. And so the verse we looked at last week, Romans chapter 15, verse 7, Paul said, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. That last part's really important because welcome one another is not an especially unique command. A lot of us welcome one another, right? Jesus said, love one another. That's not a unique command, but he said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you You ought to love one another. There's the newness. That elevates the command. We're not just supposed to welcome one another as guests into our home and send them away. We're not just supposed to love one another. We're supposed to love one another and welcome one another the way that Christ has welcomed us, the way that Jesus has loved us. And last week, we explored how Christ has welcomed us as family into fellowship with God as his sons and daughters and as Jesus' brothers and sisters, which is an incredible reality that we can experience fellowship with God, but that together we become the family of God. We become a spiritual community, a spiritual family, which is the strongest type of family, the most authentic type of community. And so over these weeks in this series that we're calling Core 4, we're just unpacking Four core values in our church. We believe if we practice and grow in these... Someone? Your car is going off. Hopefully they get that figured out. (laughs) Otherwise it's going to be a long sermon. (laughs) Four values. Wholehearted worship. Authentic community. 
passionate service, courageous witness. We feel like these, if, if we want to be a church that is accomplishing our mission, and our mission is what? It is to make disciples who experience new life in Christ, express new life to one another, and extend new life to those who don't yet know God. That's our mission. And we feel that if we embody these four things, these four values, we will be successful as we, as we try to accomplish that mission. A part of that, I said, is expressing new life to one another. And that's why we're talking about passion or authentic community. And so last week we began that conversation by looking at the church as a family and that reality that you don't just come here to church with your family. When you come to church, you come to your family. And we don't just want that to be words, nice fuzzy words. We want that to be a reality. What does it look like for us to be in the practice family? And so we're going to unpack that in a more practical, detailed way here this morning because I heard from people last week um, that there are lonely people in this church. I heard from a lot of people. <clears throat> and um, it struck a nerve. People right after the service, people later last Sunday morning, text people, some people, I, I, I wouldn't surprise me that they were lonely. Maybe single people, spiritually single people have a spouse, spouse doesn't share their faith. Supposed doesn't come to church with them. They feel kind of alone. Some of the people I was kind of surprised to hear it from. The sense of lacking of community, but desiring it. And then even this, just this morning before the service, I didn't even have a time to respond. I got a ding on my phone from a new woman in this church. I just talked about over these last six months, she's trying to build faith in God and reading, praying the Bible and coming, or uh, reading the Bible, praying, coming to church. She's trying to do it on her own, but it just isn't working, she says. She says, I need help. Well, this is the place. This should be the place where people find help. So we have room to grow. We can be better. That's why we're talking about this. We want to grow in authentic community as a church. Now, that word authentic, I don't know you how that sounds when you hear that. What is something that's authentic? Because I, I know for me, when I think of authentic genuine. I almost think of that word as like it's something that's natural. It's something that's almost spontaneous. It's not something that, it's organic, like something that's organic. A tree doesn't have to decide to grow or just decide to like bear leaves. It just does it because it's a tree. It's in its DNA. It's in its cells. It's organic. It just does it. Like you, you breathe. I think. Like right now, you are breathing. You, you're not deciding to breathe. You're not choosing to breathe. You didn't wake up this morning and go, okay, number one thing today, breathe. You just do it because it's organic. It comes naturally. You don't even have to think about it. And so when I think of the word authentic, I almost wonder if we might think of it in that way. Something that's just unplanned, spontaneous, natural. Um, and I think that could be a problem if we think of authentic community in the church that way because there is this idyllic version vision of the church that many people have where everything just happens organically naturally we shouldn't even really have to be told to do it or choose to do it it should almost just be what we do what happens because of who we are like a tree that just grows and produces fruit Some people think the church is like that. And maybe they read some accounts of the early church 
which just give you these warm fuzzies uh, of, of what that authentic community looked like at the very beginning. And they go, man, I want to recapture that. That's what I want. Like Acts chapter 2, this is the very first description we have of the church, and it's beautiful. Almost 2,000 years ago, Peter preaches the gospel on the day of Pentecost. Many people are saved. Acts 2 verse 41, it says, those who accepted Peter's message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. So on day one, the church grew from 120 to 3,120. They devoted themselves to the gospel's teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and held everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved." Here we have this beautiful picture of the church just being the church. It just seems so natural and organic and everyone's loving one another and all the needs are being met. And similarly, a couple chapters later, Acts chapter 4, verse 32, it says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all, that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them, brought the money to the, from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Again, another picture of just this, this beautiful, authentic community where everybody had their needs met, and they were all of one heart and mind. And then the honeymoon period ended. Because in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, it's a little bit different. It continues the story of the church. It says, uh, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So there's two groups, at least two groups of people in this church. There's the Hellenistic. That doesn't mean the Jews that are going to hell. That's just Hellenistic. If, if, you're, like if, you're, you know, if you're like a historical person, sophisticated um, then, then maybe you know that something that's Hellenistic is Greek, right? So these are, the, these are the Jews that come from a Greek culture and background. And then there were other Jews that were Hebraic. They were Hebrew, right? So they had maybe different languages, customs, cultures, but they were all together in one church. And the Hebraic ones, they were probably the most common ones here in Jerusalem because Jerusalem was primarily Hebraic. But there were these Hellenistic Jews, and apparently their needs were being overlooked, now, why were their needs being overlooked? I, I don't think it was because someone looked at them and said, Ew, you're lesser than these other people. We're not going to meet your needs. We're going to keep food from you. I don't think it was that sort of thing. I just think it was people were relying on spontaneous care. And these sort of people, they were in the majority. They had a network. They had a support network. They had family and friends that were looking out for them, that saw their need. They made sure that all the needs were met over there, but there were these other people. They didn't have the same support network, and they were overlooked. Their needs went unmet, not because anyone planned not to meet them, but because no one planned to meet them. They were just relying on the church trying to be organic, doing it naturally, and it wasn't working anymore. And so the, it continues in verse 2. 
It says, so the twelve, that is the twelve disciples, gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, for that, that's why I never help in the kitchen here, just so you know. People wonder, Rusty, why don't you help clean up? And why don't you help? I say it's because of this verse. The Lord has said, I uh, hope you know I'm kidding. I choose not to help for other reasons. <laughs> it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Okay, they looked at this. Yeah, this isn't right. Some people's needs are being met. Others are being overlooked. This isn't good. We don't want this. What do we got to do? Well, I guess we got to organize a little bit. We've just been re relying on this happening organically. It just doesn't happen organically. If that's your measure of authentic community, it's not enough. Unplanned is not enough. Spontaneous isn't enough. We need to be systematic in our community. We need not just to be organic. We need to be organized in the way that we do community because there again there is a sense i think that if we plan something it's not authentic if we have to organize it if it's part of a system maybe it's less than authentic or less than genuine but that's not true and we know that even in in family life right in family life if something is really important something is important that it happens you plan for it you make a decision you put it on the calendar otherwise you're never going to go on a date with your wife as much as you might say, man, we really need to connect. Man, life is busy. Man, we should really go out and be together. Unless you put it on the calendar and say, man, every two weeks, every second Monday at this time, we're going on a date. Let's put it on the calendar. Some of you have discovered unless you choose it and are systematic with it, it just doesn't happen. Not because you don't want it to happen. Not because you think it's unimportant. But just because there's so much, there's so much push and pull to life that those things that are truly important, you plan. You have a system. Or maybe like paying bills. One of my tasks Monday morning is I do the weekly accounting, categorizing of all our purchases. It's my wife's least favorite hour of the week. Hey, hon. Not because I'm like uh, questioning anything. It's just like, I, what is this? Well, that's that. Okay. A minute later. Hey, hon. Because, you know, she, to her credit, she does all the grocery shopping and she does all the clothes shopping. And if it wasn't for her, our kids would have one set of clothes and no shoes. Thank God for her. And no Christmas gifts. She's done. She told me two days ago, she's done Christmas. Kids and me. I haven't even thought of it for her. Thank God she makes an Amazon wish list. She sends me the link. So, so I'm getting off track. So what I, what I realized is, I mean, I, I, actually, I actually need to know and have an accounting for what happens with the money because you know what I discovered a couple years ago when we weren't doing that? I never did that. We had three Netflix accounts. We used one and we're paying for three. For years. I went back, how long have we been paying for three separate Netflix accounts? Years. What? Just because... There was no plan. There was no system. Family devotions. 
man, it's really important that with the kids, you know, we spend time to pray and have spiritual conversation and open God's word together. Yeah, it's really important. But man, if you don't plan that, if you're not systematic about it, life is busy. Maybe you found that it's really hard to do. And so organizing something, planning it, making a decision, being systematic doesn't mean something isn't authentic. Right? It makes it authentic because it shows that it is really important. So this is what I want you to know because when you hear authentic, I know some of it, it's just, it just happens. You just go about your day and you go about your relationships and almost just by chance it comes about and you find you know, this community and if you don't have it, it's because it just hasn't naturally happened in the life of the church. But this is what I want you to know. Authentic community is intentional community. It has to be intentional, systematic community. And I think Jesus modeled this because Jesus, he, didn't just, he doesn't just teach us through his words, right? I think he teaches us through the example of his life, through his modeling of relationships. Jesus modeled intentional community. And so in Luke chapter 6, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's just um, been baptized, you know, he's come back from the wilderness, and he's ready to, uh, to begin his ministry. And what does he do? Well, we find in Luke chapter uh, 6 verses 12 it says one of uh, one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God and what was he praying about here he's communing with his father this is what he does when morning came he called his disciples to him and he chose it's an important word he chose 12 of them whom he also designated apostles and then it lists their names right so what was he doing when he went out to pray well, I think he was praying, Lord, who do you want me? Lord, who do you want me to call, to, to intentionally call around myself to build community? So he was praying and trying to hear from God. And then after he prayed, he came and he chose 12 because he had a bigger crowd. We find he had a group of disciples. I don't know what it would have been like to be the others who weren't a part of the 12. Peter, you step forward. John, would you come? Andrew, step forward. No, not you. Not you. Uh, I, I don't know what that would have been like to kind of have been on the outside of the 12 when they were all a part of this bigger group. Maybe some would have felt like Jesus in being so deliberate um, with, with a handful, maybe that he was being kind of exclusive, like Jesus was forming a clique or a clique. Cliques aren't good. We don't want to be a church of cliques. Was Jesus forming a clique? being exclusive? I don't think so. In fact, I think the intentionality of Jesus to choose some to do life with was actually kind of an act of radical inclusion in its motive because he knew he came with a big mission. He was going to come in a few years to teach and then he was going to die on that cross. He was going to rise from the dead. He was going to ascend to heaven and he was going to leave people with this mission to bring to the whole world. How was that going to happen after he left, right? Was it going to be just by teaching this big throng of people well, no, I think Jesus in his wisdom knew that he needed to make a high invest, investment in relationship with a handful of people around him who he could impart enough to so that when he left, they could impart and they could impart and they could do the same. And that was, that was his method to grow big, right? You grow big, you tackle this big mission, you got to go small. So I think th- th- this, this calling of himself of a few was he had in mind really the many in doing that. So Jesus chooses some for the sake of community. And so if there's a big idea here that I'd like you to take away, I guess it's this. Authentic community happens not by chance, but by choice. 
It happens, I mean, sometimes it happens organically, and that's great. That's great, you know, when things just happen, and you just find people, and you just develop these relationships. That's a beautiful thing when that happens organically, but there's, there's people that are just waiting for that to happen spontaneously. But I think what the Bible will show us and what Jesus models for us is that authentic community happens not just by chance, but by choice. And I think there's a picture that is helpful for us as we think about what it looks like to choose authentic community. And it's a verse we find in Proverbs 27, verse 17. Some of you, you know it really well. You could probably recite it. Proverbs 27, 17. Does anybody know it? As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another person. Many of you have heard that verse before, right? I mean, I've preached on it before. Heck, I think I've even pulled out some knives before, so be good. Uh, some of you, you've, um, I, I've used this as an illustration before, so I've learned that sometimes we need to be reminded of things. And some of you, you've never seen me do this. Uh, but but these, these are two knives that come from my kitchen. And so when, when I, whoever wrote these words, we're not exactly sure who it was, may have, may have been Solomon. He says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So he's talking about two blades, right? Whether it's a sword for battle, whether it's a kitchen knife cutting carrots, whatever it is, it's two pieces of iron, two blades that in order to fulfill their purpose well, need to be sharp because the purpose of a sword, the purpose of a knife um, is to cut. And in order to cut, it, to, to, to cut well, it needs to be sharp. And so he says, just as one um, blade is made sharpened by another blade, so one person sharpens another person. And so I just want to talk about this picture because I think in this picture, it, it teaches us three things at least that will help us understand what intentional, authentic community looks like. So, so three things we learn from this illustration of ironing, sharpening, ironing, and then, uh, what did I just say? Iron, my wife would be like, Rusty, you never ironing. You're never ironing. As iron sharpens, yeah, I know. Um, then the thought just came to me. My whole life, I was saying the word wrong. My parents taught me that word wrong. I, I called it iron the whole, my whole life. And then I met my wife, and she said, it's iron. And I said, it is? I thought that was a different word. Apparently not. Saying it wrong my whole life. Um, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So how does iron sharpen iron? Um, well, it requires close contact, right? Um, if these two things never get close enough that they really touch, they don't change. They don't get sharpened. So authentic community, uh, I guess the, the first kind of sub-point would be that authentic community is close community. These two things need to touch in order for them to sharpen one another. Right? Because um, we have a lot of relationships. I mean, there are a lot of lonely people who have a lot of relationships. They got a lot of Facebook friends. They got a lot of acquaintances. But there's many people, that, they have a lot of um, friends, but they don't really have any friends. For, for many of us, most of, maybe almost all, maybe all of our relationships 
are, are, are at, the, at the surface level, not at the authentic bear, the being able to kind of be vulnerable and to bear one another's emotions and fears and anxieties and sins sort of level. Most of our relationships are at the surface level, right? That's the, the weather level, the bombers level, right? The what do you do on the weekend level. Those are the sort of relationships where the answer to the question, how are you, is always, oh, pretty good. Many people, those are the only relationships they have. That's not true community. Paul says in Romans 12, 9, love must be sincere. That love sincere is, that, is the word like for unhypocritical. It has to be honest. It has to be as it really is. If we really love one another in the context to community, it requires sincerity to unmask one's heart, unmask one's emotions and one's fears and anxieties, unmask one's struggles. And that involves being vulnerable, which is why you don't do it to everybody. See, sometimes people hear a sermon like this and they think what they need to do is they need to share everything with everybody in the church foyer. All 400 people. That's not what authentic community looks like, okay? In fact, it can't even happen. Studies show that uh, the average person can only maintain about 150 connections. That's the near maxed out, 150. And to have deep relationships, uh, deep friendships, five to seven max people. Which sounds like a small number, but then you realize there's a lot of people in the world that have zero. And some people in this room that have zero. But we need at least a couple with whom we can be sincere. We can be real. Authentic community requires close community. And so you look at the example of Jesus, right? So he called the 12, but even amongst the 12, he brought three in even a little closer, Peter, James, and John. And it's interesting where Jesus took those three guys with him. He took them to the highest place and the lowest place, the greatest joy and the lowest depths of despair. Right? He took those three guys to the Mount of Transfiguration. Maybe you remember the story. We're in that moment. He's like, I'm going to reveal to these, 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 these closest companions more of who I really am. And he kind of almost like peels back the veil. And that, that divine glory that is Jesus in his divinity kind of shines through in a way that, that reveals more to these guys of who Jesus really is. So he brings them into that place. But then he also brings those same guys later on into the Garden of Gethsemane on the night or two before Jesus goes to the cross and he knows what's coming and he's just in the pit of um, sorrow, uh, feeling the weight of sin, anticipating the nails and the cross and he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane late at night and he brings these three guys and he says, I need you watch and pray with me. He brings them to 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 kind of the pinnacle and to the very depth, these three. So Jesus... Jesus models this close community. So we need people, not a ton of people, but we need some people with whom we can be close, like this. Not like this. Hey, how are you, Bob? How about the Bombers game last night? Okay, where are you going the weekend? Now, before we move on, Close community isn't closed community. And I like the picture of the sea, just because we're using the word, you know, everything's going to alliterate. It makes a pastor happy. 
When you think of a C, it's, it's, it's a circle. It's almost closed. It's not quite closed. You know, they say people learn better in, in circles than rows. And, and rows, what we do here, is important. But community shouldn't stop here. Community needs to go from rows to circles, but not closed circles. And so a closed circle is an O. It's closed. It's a closed system. But, but close community is a C. It's, it's, there, there, there's, there's community there, but it's not closed community. There is an openness. There, 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 is, there is the desire and the openness both to give and to receive community to others. Close community isn't closed community. Because authentic community in a church should not become cliques, a bunch of closed cliques, self-contained units that never change, that never look outside of themselves to see if there's others who can be drawn in. So that's the first thing. Authentic community is close community. Another thing we learn when we think of the, the image of, these, of, of iron sharpening iron is uh, that authentic community is constructive community. You see, there's all sorts of, of community that you can experience out there. And lots of great community. And like, I was at the Bombers game yesterday because, well, some of you saw on Facebook, a couple days ago, my, my, my wife and kids are out of town, so I put on Facebook, the Bombers game is tomorrow, I don't have TSN, my family's gone, where are my friends? And um, so I've, I've, I've almost perfected the art of mooching and smooching. It's like you go to seminary, that's like year one. How to invite yourself over into people's homes because they have bigger TVs and better food. So there were some kind, kind people in this room that offered, but then there's a guy from the church who, who messaged me and said, I actually have two tickets to the game I can't use. Do you want to go? And I said, uh, yep, I do. <laughs> so I called a, a friend from the city, and Scott and I, we went. And so it became very clear we were in the upper deck, two, two rows away from the, um, the railing. And, and I've gone to games before where everyone is strangers to one another because they're not talking to one another. I stepped into a community. I sat down, the guy looks at me, he's like, who are you? What the F are you doing here? I mean, lighthearted. But he didn't just say F, he said the whole word. Like, you get that? Get what I'm doing there? And, and I'm like, because he was expecting the other guy from this church that has these tickets. And as I'm observing, everybody around is a family. They're all talking to one another. They all know one another. They're all bantering and joking with one another. The guy that's sitting right in front of me, and there's these two friends sitting right in front of me. The one guy's just, it's the beginning of the game. He's smashed. He's already drunk. And he, it's his birthday, uh, a really jovial guy, but he sleeps through 75% of the game. He, he dozes off, and then he wakes up and he goes, yeah! And then he goes back to sleep. <laughs> it's really tipsy. And his, and his friend right beside him, there's a blanket out, he's always tucking him in, because it's cold. He's always tucking the blanket into his friend, and his friend falls asleep, and, he, and his head is on his shoulder, and he's kind of patting him. He's making sure he's nice and warm. And then the guy gets up. He's got to go pee or something. And, and he's just stumbling. And me and my friend are watching this going, this guy is going to wipe out. He's going to like hurt himself. He's not going to make it. He's, and, he's, um, and he gets down and he comes back up and he's trying to squeeze into his seat. And all of a sudden, and the railing is right here. And his buddy reaches out and grabs him, pulls him back down. And they continue as if this is what happens every bomber's game. And I suspect it is. 
And then the other guy beside me is dropping a bunch of F-bombs. He, he taps the other, the, the friend on the shoulder and says, you're a good friend. You're a good friend. And, and it was just like, it, it was a really interesting thing just to behold this dynamic. And, and, you know, there was a lot of beauty in it. Like this, this was community here. This was family. And, and there is a beauty to that. And there's, um, this is not condoning drunkenness or profanity. Don't get me wrong. But, but I, you know, there, there was beauty in the community that those people had there. So there is community outside the church. There are other places and other forms of, of community. But authentic community, when we say it's constructive community, we're saying that within the people of God, within the family of God, there is a certain type of community that that, that group does not experience and cannot offer to one another. Okay? So when I say authentic community is constructive community, I guess it's a way of acknowledging that not all community is sharpening community. Um, because blades, while they can sharpen one another, they can also dull one another. You do this. My wife is not here. She's going to kill me. I mean, there's all sorts of things you could do in close contact with these that would dull and not sharpen, Right? But there is a way to sharpen iron with iron uh, that is constructive, that builds up and doesn't tear down. So I, I think we need to be mindful of that. Um, there, there, there's dull community that makes you dull and community that makes you sharp. Attitudes, behaviors are contagious for good or for bad. The spirit of grumbling um, is contagious. Spirit of contentment is contagious. Spirit of thanksgiving is contagious. The spirit of anger, gossip is contagious. So what does it mean to sharpen one another? Have constructive community. I think we have a really good picture of that. Actually, um, one of the, the best examples of friendship we have in the Bible is David and Jonathan. These two men that had a, a, a real bond with one another. And we get a sense uh, into what that looked like in 1 Samuel chapter 23. So if you know the story a little bit, you know that when David was a shepherd boy, the king of Israel at the time, Saul, uh, he, had, he was a bad king, so God was going to reject him and put a new king, and God chose this shepherd boy who's just kind of a nobody, right? David, he was a, a young guy. So God sends the prophet Samuel to anoint him. No one else really knows about this except David. David knows the call of God is on his life. He will be king, uh, but it takes 20 years before he actually becomes king. And in that period of time, uh, Saul, the other king, he, he at times tries to, tr- tries to uh, kill David. Uh, so, so David is, is waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise. It's been a long time. He's under threat. He's facing pressure. He's stressed. He's on the run. And this is where we find the story. It says that while David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, who was David's uh, good friend, went to David at Horesh and helped him find, say it with me, strength in God. Don't be afraid, Jonathan said to David. My father, Saul, will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father, Saul, knows this. You will be king over Israel. Why is he saying that? Is it like wishful thinking? Don't get down on yourself. Things will turn around. Things will turn around. Um, he's not just trying to encourage, you know, a guy with, 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 whose spirits are down. He is stating the promises of God. He's reminding him of the promise of God. God has promised David. 
you will be king. I know in spite of all of this, it, it, it looks like how could that happen? But God has said. And so he leaves wherever he is. He travels to David, who's in danger, in order to help his friend find strength in God. And I thought, I think that description, it, that is the definition of Christian fellowship and community. It's people who are helping other people find strength in God, not strength in themselves, not strength in the other person, in the friend, but strength in God, pointing them kind of to the truths and the promises of God. That spiritual community, that's the most authentic type of community. So authentic community that sharpens Um, encourages, it helps people that are growing weary on the path and losing steam. And sometimes it exhorts because sometimes people stray from the path God would have them on. And someone comes and exhorts and tries to bring them back from, from straying from that path onto where God wants them to be. But it's all about helping the other find strength in God. Through all that a person is going through, the depth of emotions and fears and anxieties and angers and sin and everything. And that always doesn't involve words, providing answers. Sometimes that's just being the presence of God, the care of God, like Job's friends with Job when he was in despair. Um, Christian community is helping others find strength in God. But in order to do that, that that's close community. That's not 400 people in the church. That's, That's having a few that can go deep and can share, can help one another find strength in God. Notice that Jonathan strengthened David here, which is kind of interesting because you would expect David to be the one strengthening Jonathan. Like if you think of that relationship, you think, well, here's David and here's Jonathan, right? If there's going to be like a mentor and a mentee, you got David, you got Jonathan. And yet here you have Jonathan going to David to help him find strength in God. So that flows both directions. We all have something to give and we all have something to gain when we choose community. Like Jesus, he brought those 12 around him and then those three, not just for their own sake, but for his own sake because there was times when Jesus was weak and he leaned on his friends like in the Garden of Gethsemane. He felt like he needed community himself and if Jesus needed that, how much those of us who think, hey, we're doing pretty good, we're spiritually mature, We all have something to give and we all have something to gain when we choose community because when you have these knives, it's not that one sharpens the other. What happens? They both get sharpened at the same time. In fact, it's not possible for one to sharpen the other without that one also sharpening that one. So it's not a one-way thing, right? That's why you see them in the kitchen doing this. Authentic community is, um, is close community, it's um, constructive community, and lastly, authentic community is consistent community. Uh, because a single contact with a blade doesn't sharpen, right? How many times am I going to have to bend over? Um, that, you know, oh, very close. Let's go our separate ways. Unchanged. That really doesn't do anything. It's going to take, you know, over the period of time, it's going to take that. 
And you know what? Then these knives are going to go and they're going to cut carrots and whatever else. They're going to do what knives do. And, and all of that's going to dull them, right? Just like life, the pressures of life, the stresses of life, it dulls us, right? Anxieties, fears, doubts, apathies, angers, bitterness, unforgiveness, guilt, whatever. But authentic community is consistent community. It's not about doing it once. It's about, it's about being in a relationship where this happens again and again and again. Because sharpening just doesn't happen once, right? We need to be sharpened through life regularly because life dulls us. So I, th- I think that, that's another part of this picture. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It's an ongoing investment. You know, I think people, sometimes what they'll do is they'll seek that sort of intentional community only in a crisis when they feel they absolutely need it, and then often at that point it's too late because it takes time to build. It takes time to build. It takes time to trust. It takes time to open up. It takes time to reap the benefits of the investment of community. Just like when a seed gets planted, you know, the next day the farmer doesn't go to the field and go, what a waste of time that was. I'm not doing that again. You harvest in a different season than you sow, right? And so it is with community. And so some people, they wait too late till they absolutely need it, till they seek it. And some people, you know, they start doing it and then they go, well, it doesn't really even make that much of a difference. Um, I don't feel a whole lot sharper. And, we, and we've met twice. So why am I doing this? I could do something else on a Wednesday night. We live in this impatient, instant microwave culture, and some people might want instant community, but there is no such thing as instant community. It doesn't exist. It can never exist. You know, like, I want instant abs. I want instant biceps. And I've tried. You know, like, I I worked out once, I had the barbells, I did an arm workout, and then a couple days later I did it again, and then I stood in front of the mirror and I'm like, I didn't even look any different. What an absolute waste of time. You know, and then I thought, well, I'll just keep doing it for a while. So I, I, I did it for a little while. And then I stopped doing it for even longer. And then the next year I started doing it again. And what I found is I was right back where I started. You know, I, I start jogging in about April, and, and, and I get, when I first jog, I get that taste of blood in my mouth. You know what I'm talking about? That iron taste, like your lungs are like, what are you doing to me? Stop! And I only made it half a block. And then, you know, you start to, you start to kind of build up, you start to, you start to grow, and then, and then the winter comes, and you're like, well, it's no fun to run in the winter. I've got I to gotta buy different gear. I'm going to take eight months off. And so next April, it comes around, and I'm right back where I started, year after year after year. I think sometimes I I fear we might bring that same attitude to community, kind of that irregular, instant sort of approach. But authentic community is consistent community. It's something we have to choose to be continual, to be persevering in it because that's the only way to be sharpened 
by it. So coming back to my main point, if you just take that away this morning, authentic community doesn't happen by chance. It happens by choice. So don't think, see the word authentic and go, wouldn't it be nice if that happens? We'll see. We'll see. Doesn't work that way. It's intentional. It needs to be a choice. It's not just organic. It needs to be organized. It's not just spontaneous. It needs to be systematic. Because it's important. And you plan the things that are your priorities. So we want to be better at that at New Life and not just hope it happens because I preach about it and then you guys just organically do it. It's a beautiful thing when that just happens without even choosing it. You just stumble into something and that's great. Those relationships are great. But one of the goals of this year at the church is to build a congregational care team because like Acts chapter 6, we got the same problem. We got a big church. Some people are well taken care of, support network, others. Have you seen so-and-so? I don't know, have you seen so-and-so? Well, you called him, but I didn't call him. I thought you might call him. Well, I didn't call him. By that time, so much has happened. Uh, we want to be a place here where, where nobody is overlooked. It's not a new phenomenon. So, you know, we're, we're, we're in the middle of building, and hopefully by our AGM in February, we'll have a team that we can kind of start practicing this, but a congregational care team that, ha- that is systematic at that level in um, looking over our church. Another way that we try to be systematic in that, uh, in building intentional community, is our life groups. And from time to time, we talk about life groups. I'm not going to say much right now, other than the fact that life groups are these small groups, you know, maybe six, eight, ten, twelve people. Sometimes there's an odd number. But they gather on a regular basis in homes for encouragement, for prayer, for sharing, for some study. And, and here's the problem we have at New Life. We have way more people that want to be a part of that than that are willing to lead that. Like op- either by opening up their home and saying, I will host that or by, and or by facilitating that by, I'll be a facilitator, I'll be a leader, which isn't rocket science. Doesn't, have a, doesn't need a theology degree. Just someone who's willing to, to organize. Uh, so we got all these people because they came forward in September. I'd like to be in a life group. I'd like to be in a life group. I'd like to be in a life group. Great, we're going to try to put you in a life group. Oh my goodness. Okay, well, we have a lot of people that want to be in life groups, but it's hard to find people who want to lead life groups. So that's, um, so, so that's, that's a need for us as we try to be systematic in building intentional community. Maybe, so like, um, maybe some of you will hear from God about that and, and come and talk with one of us. Um, or, or maybe you just got a group. Oh, and it's just great. It's great. You've been together for eight years. You know one another so well. Why ruin a good thing by bringing in someone new? And so you don't have a C, you got an O. And it's working really well for you. But, but maybe what God might call you to do, whether it's a group of friends that get together and you just practice this, not because anyone told you to or the church organizes it, but just because you do it, or because it's a part of a life group or a group organized by the church, maybe that means like opening up so you're still a community, you're still a circle, but there's that openness. There's that openness to receive and offer community to someone else who needs it. So that's what God may ask, be asking some of you to do. We also have discipleship groups, these small groups of men or women because we've that, that get together, two, three, four of them at, at a time. Um, 
for the sake of encouragement and accountability and deep sharing and, and Bible study. And because we found out there's a lot of people that can't do life groups that easily because if they're a couple, man, between the kids and hockey and this and that, there's not an evening of the week on a regular basis where the two of them can even be a part of something as much as they might like to. And so, so these groups are smaller for men and women, just organizing with three people to try to find a lunch hour, another time in your schedules where you can gather for an hour for the sake of intentional community. And we have a little template for that that we support. And so that might be something that you hear about that you're interested in that you might want to pursue and ask questions about. Just a little story before I close here. Because I see, I see Chris up there. Hey, bud. Um, Chris, uh, I don't think many of you know Chris. I don't think Chris likes me talking about Chris, but he's up there. Uh, so a few years before COVID, I was in one of these small discipleship groups. And a part of the activity, so it's tr- uh, trying to be intentional. And again, part, part of, sometimes when you get a book and stuff, you're like, this just feels unnatural, it's authentic. Shouldn't this just happen? Do we really need to have, okay, do this and do that, do that. Um, but a part of this was, okay, identify two people that God might lay on your heart to, to reach out to that build relationship with, to try to draw into the community with Christ and community with the church. And so I don't know if you've ever had something like that and you kind of roll your eyes and go, ah, really, is that how we do this? Um, and, and I was, I was kind of wondering about that myself. But okay, I'll take this seriously. I prayed about that. I felt God laying Chris on my heart. But I didn't know who Chris, like, he was a guy that I'd met in the community a few times. Um, every, every number of months I met Chris, had a couple of conversations here or there. Uh, didn't know anything about him. But the conversations, he seemed to be open. You know, open guy, interested in conversations, spiritually open. Just got this vibe, you know. And uh, so... I hadn't seen the guy in probably nine months, but God just put on my mind Chris. So I wrote down Chris, but I didn't have a last name. I didn't know what his last name was. I didn't know where he lived. I didn't know what his phone number was. I didn't know anything about him. And so this was a Friday night. I write Chris because that was my homework for the week. Uh, the next day, Monday or Saturday morning, I go to the mail, and who's standing right in front of me in line? Chris. And so, hey, whoa, my goodness, Chris, how you doing? So we, we have, I don't know if you remember that encounter. Yeah, we, ha- we have a, a nice little banter there. So I felt pretty cool because I'm like, I just wrote Chris in my book yesterday. I haven't seen him in almost a year. God, that, that's not a coincidence. Um, so I, I go to my car and I'm kind of excited about that. And then I realize I didn't get a last name. I didn't get a phone number. It's going to be six more months, nine more months before I see this guy again. Ah! The next morning I wake up, I have a Facebook message from Chris. Kind of continuing the conversation, some spiritual conversation. Ah, now I know how to find this guy. So we develop a bit of a relationship. We start getting together, building a friendship. Um, I kind of have another version of one of these discipleship groups, and I invite him in. Chris, do you want to be a part of the group? Yeah, sure. So every Tuesday night, Chris, Bob, the others, we get together. And uh, Chris, uh, Chris went from being the guy I wrote in my book <laughs> then to being the person that was in my group another person that's sitting in church. And for me, like, I guess that was God, like, a helpful exercise for me because it was a way for me to not belittle things that are kind of systematized and organized as if somehow that's not authentic. No, this only happens organically, and I'll wait for it to happen organically. No, the mod, you know, the model of Jesus, he chose, he called, he was intentional, True, authentic spiritual community is intentional community. So it's easy to say we're a family. 
Um, but we need to take that next step. What does it look like to be intentional in seeking community and offering community because we believe it's worth it? Because we believe it makes a difference, not in my life and in the one that I give that to. Spiritual growth happens in intentional relationships. Spiritual impact happens through intentional relationships. And that's why Jesus called a few people in a relationship with them. Not just for their sake, but for the sake of the world so that all nations would know. To go big, you got to go small. So a few questions for you as, as we wrap this up. Do you have community that is like that? Close, constructive, and consistent. Do you have that? Do you want that? Do you believe that God wants that for you? And then the second question, how can you move from chance to choice? How can you move from being open, being ready, being waiting, to being proactive and intentional? What would it look like for you to move from chance to choice um, to find authentic community if you need that? To offer that to others if you already have it. So I'm going to invite you into a moment of prayer. If you just want to just have a conversation with God. You want to bow your head? Close your eyes. You're welcome to. Uh, the team is going to come up and lead us in one final song here. But I, I just, just begin that conversation with God. Take a moment first to um, thank God. Thank God that through His Son, Jesus, He has brought you into fellowship with Him, the fellowship of a father and a child, and to Jesus in the fellowship like a brother and a sister. Just thank Him for that fellowship and communion that you can have with him through his son. And then put this question before God. God, uh, I want to have and to give this sort of community. God, would you direct my steps? Would you show me what it looks like to be intentional. Not to hope it happens by chance, but to choose, to choose community. God, uh, I want to hear from you. Would you speak to me? Please, church, just continue that conversation with God as you go to listen to him. Uh, to be directed by him. Father, we thank you that we come here, all of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, your one true son, your true son, all eternity past, all eternity future, and yet in an incredible reality through what he has done in coming down and taking on flesh and bearing our weakness and our sin on the cross, and overcoming the power of death, he has made a way for us into restored relationship with you like, like a parent and a child so that um, we are actually adopted. We're adopted into your family. We belong to you. We have the care of a perfect father. That's amazing. God, that we don't just come to you as Lord or Master or Creator or God, but we come to you as Father. God, you've made us into a family. And we're not perfect at that. God, we want to be better. 
So would you show the, us here in the room just individually as, as couples, as families, Lord, how can we be like this? How, how can we receive and offer the sort of community that is like iron that sharpens iron? Just lay that on our heart. Guide us. Um, lay people on our mind. Um, Give us courage to step into things where we know we might have to open ourselves up a little bit and we're just used to having a wall and keeping things shallow for fear of what might happen if we actually go deep, somebody. So God, just lead us into being a church that experiences this sort of community more and more and more, because we need it and our world needs it. So we just look to you. Just um, lead us, empower us by your spirit, for your glory, and in your son's name we pray, amen.